Well, it's great to be back with you again this morning uh, for the last of the series, uh, uh, Unrestricted Church. Uh, And if you've got a Bible, do open it, do keep it open to uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3. And let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we pray please that you would give us hearts that are ready to listen, to listen to your spirit-breathed word, that we would hear you and that we would be ready to respond, to live out what you call us to be. Amen. We have seen that uh, the church, we thought about this a couple of weeks ago, is uh, no ordinary group of people. We are a family, a body, a building. And unlike any other group, this is the group that God is calling together to bring together God's people brought together In Colossians, Paul says also a a new creation. We are each individually new creations, but we're to relate together as a new creation as well. Dick Lucas, uh, who was a uh, uh, vicar of a church in the middle of London, uh, says this in his commentary on Colossians, we are a renewed society requiring a fresh way of living. We've got to relate to one another in a new way. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to think about how we should be relating to one another. Uh, We're going to focus in mainly on chapter 3 verse 12. So if you've got a Bible, I hope you've got a Bible with you um, or that you can look it up on a device. We're going to look at chapter 3 verse 12. That's going to be the main focus of our time. Now I warn you of that now so that, uh, because I think I forgot to warn the Emmanuel Church family. And you can start to get worried, can't you, if you think, wow, he's taking a long time over this first verse. You can start to worry about your lunch. I think maybe it's just going to be a burned offering by the time we get back. But uh, have no fear, we are just mainly focusing on verse 12. Uh, Sometimes in your own quiet times, your own Bible readings, it's good, isn't it, to read larger chunks of Scripture, sometimes just to focus in on one verse and meditate on that. Well, this morning, just this one verse uh, will give us plenty of food plenty of uh, nourishment. And we're going to think about it in two parts. First part is uh, how we're to relate to one another. And the second part, how we're able to do this. What gives us the ability to relate in this kind of way? Okay, so first off, how we're to relate to one another. How we're to relate to one another. Now, there are five virtues, five characteristics in these verses, aren't there? So if you have a look at chapter 3, verse 12, you'll see them listed there. Now each one is described, uh, is, uh, the Lord Jesus is described as each one of these as well. So they are Christ-like characteristics. And we're going to take a little bit of time on each one. It's easy, isn't it, when you get a list in the Bible, just to skim over it like a stone skimming over the water, and you don't realize the depth that there is. So we're just going to pause on each one, just think, what does this actually mean? What will this look like for you as a church family, over coffee, in relationships at other times? As the restrictions are lifted, how will this affect you 
Uh, the title of this sermon is Why Not Just Have Online Relationships. I'm not going to focus so much on why you need to be in person. I think we've done that uh, a fair bit. This is more just about these relationships. How can we live like this? Now, the first two in the list that you'll see focus mainly on relationships with one another. So you see this, verse 12. It says, clothe yourselves. Now, just pause on that for a moment. It says, clothe yourselves with these things. It's good to see everyone here is dressed. There is something that, I'm not surprised at that, by the way, um, but there's something you need to make sure that you clothe yourselves with. There are five things you've got to clothe yourselves with. Now, the tense of this verse is, uh, or this verb is such that you are to do this once, but to keep these things on. This is clothing you're to keep on at all times. Having put it on, you keep it on. These five things. First two relate to our relationships with one another. The first is compassion. Now, what does that mean? The Lord Jesus is frequently described uh, as having compassion. Now, I I would imagine it's probably as you're expecting this word to mean. When is he described as having compassion? It's when he meets people who are in need, isn't it? So you could turn to, we won't just now, but you could make a note, Uh, Matthew 20, verse 34, two blind men come to Jesus, and it says he is filled with compassion for them before he heals them. So those in need, those who are suffering, he has compassion on them. Uh, Another time, it's not just physical needs, but in in Mark chapter 6, he sees a crowd who he says are like sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean? It means they don't have a leader. They don't have people leading them and teaching them. And so he has compassion on them and he teaches them. So it's not just physical needs. It's other needs as well. Now that probably doesn't surprise you, does it? Compassion is a deep sensitivity to the needs and sorrows of others. A deep sensitivity to the needs and sorrows of others. Now we're not just talking about a natural disposition. Some people are just more naturally like this, aren't they? But this is actually something that all Christians are to clothe ourselves with. Whether you're particularly naturally like this or not, we've all got to do it. Uh, And it's not a sort of sixth sense. It's not like when someone comes in the room, you've got this sort of spidey sense or Jedi sort of mind thing where you go, I sense you are in great pain. No, this is far easier than that. It actually just means talking to one another, doesn't it? And hearing how one another are. What are our struggles? What are our sorrows? And our hearts going out to one another. Now, we've got plenty of opportunity to do this now, don't we? As we come out of restriction, that maybe you're seeing some people you haven't seen for a long time. And you can ask one another, how has lockdown been for you? For everyone, it'll be different. Some people quite enjoyed lockdown. Some people struggled going into lockdown and are eager to come out. Some people are going to struggle coming out. Some have experienced great losses over lockdown, haven't they? We need to ask one another, how has it been? And we need, part of compassion as well is to make sure the other person knows you're listening, isn't it? You're doing very well at that right now, listening to me. It's very kind of you. But we need to do that afterwards, don't we, as well, to make sure we're listening to one another, which means eye contact as well. I mean, not in a scary, freaky kind of way, but but eye contact and not to be distracted by things like your phone or or by someone else you'd rather be talking to, uh, which really does put the person off if they're opening up to you. They think I might as well be talking to a brick wall. To be compassionate, we need to be listening to one another. So compassion, we're to clothe ourselves with. Second, kindness on the list. Now, that sounds quite bland, doesn't it? Kindness. 
But actually in the Bible, it, it is, uh, uh, God is described as, uh, as being kind. It means his abundant goodness and overflowing generosity. So for instance, um, sorry, I should have moved us on. For instance, Psalm 31 verse 19 says this. Just picture this, uh, the, the, the image that this brings up. It, it says, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you. That God has stored up good things. It's like maybe, maybe you've done it before. Someone's birthday, someone you love, their, their birthday, and you've got a whole load of good things that you have wrapped and put in a cupboard somewhere. Wouldn't it be nice if that cupboard was so full you could barely shut the door? That is the image here, isn't it? It's a storeroom which is just filled with good things. And this is saying, this is how God is to people. He, has, he just has so many good things. Or another image, Psalm 65 verse 11 says, it's really speaking about harvest time, but it says, you crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. That's a nice image, isn't it? Carts overflow, it's like a horse-drawn cart going over a road, but it is so full of good things. It just has to hit a little stone and goodness just sort of overflows out of it, it just pours out. That is how good God is. Can I ask... Is that how you see God? Uh, We can assume, can't we, that God is miserly, that he withholds good things. The Bible says that is not true. He is overflowing with good things. Everything that you have in your life is a gift from God. Well, this is the kindness that we're to have to one another. Uh, Luke 6, verse 35 also says that God is kind even to the ungrateful and the sinner. And we are to have this kindness, this overflowing generosity towards one another. It can be seen in a whole load of different ways, can't it? Financial support for things within the church family. It can be phone calls. It can be um, playing music doing sound desk, doing the visuals, uh, taking people to hospital, making meals, biscuits that you might make for somebody. You say, I'll bring them around. I just thought you might like these. Uh, Praying for people, hospitality, WhatsApp messages, texts. Uh, When people bump into you, does goodness and generosity just fall out? That is what we're called to, isn't it? Compassion, kindness, And now the next two I'm going to put together, humility, and I'm using the word meekness. Some translations use meekness. The reading you had said gentleness. I'm finding it in my preparation, it was slightly hard to pull these two apart. The humility and meekness. I don't know what you think of when you think of meekness. It's not a word we use very much. But I think the two, it's slightly hard to pull them apart. What do we mean by humility or meekness? There is someone in the Bible who's described as the humblest man on earth at the time. I wonder if you can think who that was. I won't get you to shout it out right now. Um, the humblest man on earth. You wonder, how did, how did they know that? What was the competition that meant that he won that one? And by winning it, do you then stop being the humblest man on earth? Anyway, um, it was Moses. Moses was described as the humblest man on earth. Uh, Or in Numbers 12, verse 3, it says that Moses was a very meek man. You see, the two sort of seem to go together, meek and humble. Sometimes it's translated one, sometimes the other. Now, we need to know the context. In the context, um, Moses' brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, uh, were jealous of Moses uh, and were speaking against him. And were saying, you know, Moses isn't the only one God's spoken through. We have as well. 
And uh, Moses, notably, doesn't say a thing. He doesn't raise objections. He doesn't defend himself. It is God who speaks and judges. Does that point us a bit to what meekness, humility is? Another example would, of course, be Jesus. Uh, Jesus in uh, Philippians 2 uh, is described as humble, and we are called to imitate him. Let me just read a little bit from Philippians 2. It says of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used as his, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. There is humility, not grasping at glory, but giving it up, coming as a servant and even being prepared to die for people. So what is meekness and humility? It is to be done with self, either promoting oneself or defending oneself to be done with self. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another pastor from middle of London uh, a while back, said this. Uh, It's a slightly extended quote. Stick with me. I think it's a really helpful one. I found it helpful. He says this. He's speaking about meekness. He says, the man who is truly meek never pities himself. He's never sorry for himself. He never talks to himself and says, you are having a hard time. How unkind these people are not to understand you. He never thinks, how wonderful I really am. If only other people gave me a chance. Self-pity. What hours and years we waste in this. But the man who has become meek has finished with all that. To be meek, in other words, means that you have finished with yourself altogether. Now, I find that a big challenge because it's very easy to talk to ourselves like that, isn't it? To spend a long time in self-pity. But this says we are to clothe ourselves with humility and gentleness or meekness. And therefore be prepared to take the role of the servant Not promoting ourselves, not defending ourselves, but serving. And lastly, in the list of five, is patience. Or as some translations put it, long-suffering, which is a good way of putting it, isn't it? Clothe yourselves with long-suffering. Now, what does that tell us about the nature of church relationships if Paul says this is what you've got to clothe yourselves with? I wonder if when, uh, well, I'm, I know that you didn't, as uh, when looking for a new vicar, whether when uh, the profile was put together, whether you could have put in there, we need someone who's long-suffering. You probably would think, no, we shouldn't put that there. It wouldn't really put us in a good light. But the reality is Paul's saying all of us need to clothe ourselves with long-suffering in the church. Now, again, think about that in terms of what that means about how relationships are likely to be. There are likely to be difficulties, aren't there? 
Uh, you see this um, uh, as you go on, verse 13 and 14, we'll just dip into that, where it says, bear with each other. You've got to bear with each other. Yeah, and you've got to forgive one another if someone has something against you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So he's laying it on, isn't he? He's saying, you've got to be long-suffering, patient, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. There are going to be difficulties in a church family. And it will mean also, as we relate to one another, as you relate to one another, if you're exhibiting compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, sometimes that won't be rewarded with thanks. It won't necessarily be appreciated. Sometimes it will go just left. Actually, sometimes people will respond in a bad way, won't they? Otherwise, why would you need to forgive? But he says, be long-suffering, in it for the long haul. So, is there anyone this morning, you've already been challenged on this, we've already confessed, haven't we? But is there anyone who you do need to forgive today? Who you need to bear with? And bear with doesn't mean just put up with, does it? It means keep being compassionate and kind and humble and gentle towards them. Well, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, how can we do this? How can we love in this kind of way? Because it is inhuman, isn't it? It's not, on, it's not a natural way to be, to love in this way in a long-suffering, patient kind of way. Because in our relationships with, with other people, normally we come to them hungry. We come in a hungry way. We need things from one another. We need to be valued. We need to be appreciated. We need to be loved, don't we? And very often our relationships are an exchange. They're a trade. I will love you. I will be compassionate to you and humble. and I'll do all that kind of thing. As long as you give me what I need. As long as you love me back. It's a trade. It's an exchange. Um, what happens, yeah, you spot this, when people don't give you what you need. You spot that then, don't you? Because what do you do if someone doesn't love you back? If someone isn't kind back to you? Well, very often we just give up, don't we? We say, I'll just ignore them. I'll deal with, with people who are going to appreciate me. Or we get bitter. Uh, we keep loving them, but in a bitter kind of way. And now that is a gift which is given under a dark cloud, isn't it? It's not actually that nice to receive if someone is giving, but in a bitter kind of way. So how can we love in this way, where we are being genuinely compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, and we are doing this, we're doing this for the long haul? How can we do this if we're not getting it back? And the answer comes at the beginning of the verse. We dipped in, didn't we? We came into halfway through the verse. We, should, we need to go back to the beginning. So would you have a look back at the beginning of verse 12? How does Paul start the verse? He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Paul doesn't start with the command. He starts with saying, this is who you are. As these people, now clothe yourselves with these characteristics. And we won't be able to clothe ourselves with those characteristics unless we know who we are. We've got to have the theology in place in our hearts before we will be able to do the practice. It's always that way around, isn't it? 
And what do we see in these things that Paul says about God's people? He says, you are a chosen people. Now, to be chosen, it depends what you're chosen for, doesn't it? But to be chosen, often that is something very significant. We want to be chosen for something good. If someone picks us and says, I I want you, ah, that makes you feel good. Imagine the Lord God is saying, I want you, I want this people. You are my chosen people. Does that make you feel valued? Of course. Appreciated? Yes. Although not because of anything good about you. No, we are chosen as sinners through Christ, brought into this group, this family. Through Jesus, always through Jesus. That is a big thing in Colossians, that you get fullness through Christ. Go back through Colossians and you'll see. But you are brought in through Christ, given value, given appreciation, through being joined to Christ, through being chosen by God, and dearly loved. Loved through Christ, through what he did for us. So loved that Jesus came and died for you, not when you were good, but when you were a sinner when you're God's enemies, that's how much he loves you. Now, do you see how if we have the first half of the verse in place, we can do the second half? Because if we have the first half of the verse in our hearts, we are feeding on Christ. We are getting our value, our appreciation, our love from Christ. We are full. We are not coming to one another hungry, but filled with Christ. And therefore, I want you to think, as you relate to someone else in the church family, that you need to relate to know that there are three people in that relationship. There's you, the other person, and Jesus. And it is helpful, I think it's helpful even to think of that, almost physically you go, okay, there's me, there's you, and there is Jesus in this relationship. And we must have three. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we heard a quote from him a couple of weeks ago. He says that our relationships with one another, we must not have immediate relationships with one another. It must be with Jesus there. Now, just think how that helps you. If you are fed on Christ, if you get your value, your appreciation, your love from Christ, that means you can pour out love to someone else. You're like a river, to change the analogy. You're getting it from Christ and you're able to pour it out to one another. And that means you don't need thanks, do you? It doesn't matter if the person thanks you or not, if they appreciate it or not. It doesn't matter because you can keep going because you're getting your appreciation and love and value from Jesus. It, it also means it removes intensity from the relationship, actually, doesn't it? Sometimes relationships can be incredibly intense because we need things from one another. And actually you go, no, I've got what I need from Jesus. Therefore, I can love you in a in a light way, not an intense way where I desperately need you to know I'm loving you and to to get that appreciation. And you can keep going. On and on. Long-suffering. And I hope you see, if you're not yet a Christian, that what this verse is saying is that the thing that you so desperately want in your relationships you can actually really only find in Jesus. He is the one who can fulfill you. And when he does, when you come to him with your sin, confess your sin to Jesus, come to him for forgiveness, know his forgiveness, know the value he gives to sinners who come to him, you can start to love in this way as well. We are called not to be Christ for one another. Don't be Christ for one another. No, Christ needs to be Christ. But we are to be Christ-like towards one another. 
And we can only do that if we have Jesus in our relationships. And if we know that the other person is feeding off Christ, getting their, their greatest needs from Jesus, that removes a pressure as well, doesn't it? You don't need to be one another's savior. Jesus is that. So it frees us up. Well, we are called to be Jesus' renewed people, to clothe ourselves with these things, and we can only do that if we know who we are. Now, I'm going to finish for us by reading that verse again, Colossians 3, verse 12, and then I'm going to leave here. I'm going to just leave with some silence. You can have some silence just to look back over that verse, maybe, and to think, what difference does this need to make to you today? I'll give some room for you to think, maybe to pray. Uh, some time for, uh, for your own dealings with the Lord as well. So I'll just read this verse again. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience.